It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day. I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh my mama. Oh my mama made it, ma. Rainy days. Jump shot fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. Especially when the season get hectic. I stay waiting on it like receiving a Nets pick. Nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth you might even hear a story on Gigi. So in depth they might do an hour about the D-League. So in depth you probably should pay him but it's a freebie. Yeah, John Corrales and J. King. Locked on trying to get the 18th ring. So you can miss me with the blah blah. No more Geno time. We watching Jay do the Zaza. Hello and welcome back to the Locked On Celtics podcast with the Rain and Jays. Today it's me, your boy Jay King from MassLive.com. I'm going to be joined by the Ringers, Kevin O'Connor, one of the greatest draft experts who ever lived, a guy who has just skyrocketed to internet stardom for going from some some Celtics blogs, including the great Celtics blog, to now The Ringer, where he covers the NBA and does a great job. I've really enjoyed his rise, really enjoyed watching his his quick, quick, quick rocket ship to the top. So it, Kevin and I had a, had a nice little conversation. You'll be able to hear that shortly. Before you do, please, please, please subscribe to the podcast. Search for Locked on Celtics wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, wherever else. Just search for it. Subscribe to us. Give us a five star rating. It's 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 really it's it's easy to do, and it helps us. We're we're giving you the daily podcast Monday through Friday, the only daily Celtics podcast. So so please please do that. We'd appreciate it. And now, without further ado, on to the interview with the Ringers, Kevin O'Connor. All right, so we're here with the Ringers, Kevin O'Connor, one of one of the writers I really respect. I've been following his stuff since he wrote for Celtics blog. He used to be writing all about the Celtics. Now he's covering the whole NBA for the Ringer. Really doing a great job, Kevin. I've really appreciated your work. I think I've, I've always liked your work, but I think you've done even a better job since moving to the Ringer. So congratulations on the move, first of all, and. Congratulations on continuing to work on your craft and doing a great job. Everybody go follow Kevin O'Connor on Twitter. What is it? At Kevin O'Connor MBA? Yes, sir. I thought that was it. You're on all my lists and stuff, but I always forget people's actual, like, I, 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 I see them by, like, the little Twitter picture. <laughs> when people, <laughs> the, the when, little, 
when people change their picture, it's like a totally new person you're following. Exactly. It's like, who the hell is that? <laughs> so j- just so everyone knows out there, I am fighting through illness today. If my voice sounds a little different, that's why. If I start coughing, that's why. I'm a <laughs> podcast warrior. Just, I, I cannot be deterred. <laughs> so, so Jay's work, I think, is off the charts. <laughs> so so Kevin is, in addition to his stuff about the NBA, is also a draft expert. He's done a draft guide every year, which is fantastic. Probably the most in-depth scouting reports you can get. And he, he's he's sold it in the past. I don't know if he's going to continue. Are you going to continue selling it? Um, to be determined. I hope so. We'll, we'll see. Cool, cool. So he's, he writes these draft guides. He knows the draft prospects as well as anybody, maybe better than anybody. Um, and so we're going to pick his brain. The Brooklyn Nets right now are on an 11-game losing skid. They haven't won in like three decades. They are four, four wins back, up, whatever, in the lottery standings. So they look like they are going to finish with the NBA's worst record this season. The Celtics obviously will benefit from that. They will have... Probably a top four pick automatically if the Nets. Well, they they will have a top four pick automatically if the Nets finish in their current place. And this draft looking pretty good, Kevin. So first, first of all, I had Sam Vecini on the podcast earlier, maybe like a couple months ago, and I asked him the same question: What are your overall thoughts on this draft and how it's shaping up? Like, how are the lottery prospects in this draft compared to a normal normal draft? I think it's really, really strong up top, Jay. I I look at this draft and, you know, from a Celtics perspective, even if they don't end up with the number one pick, if they end up like the fifth pick, right, or even the sixth pick, I think you're going to get a prospect at that spot who you – an individual team might view as the top guy. So like at the top, you have a a collection of point guards, Markel Fultz, Fultz, Lonzo Ball, Dennis Smith. Those three guys, one team may prefer one over the other. Same thing with the forwards, Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum, Jonathan Isaac. Those guys may be viewed as the top guy at their position by individual teams. And it remains to be seen who the Celtics view, but they'll have their choice of a guy, whether they have the number one pick or five or six. Do you think all those guys are potential all stars? I, I think I think the potential is there. I don't I don't necessarily view Dennis Smith as highly <clears throat> as a lot of people, but I, I think the potential is absolutely there for all those aforementioned guys to become all stars. So why do you hate Dennis Smith? I just <laughs> I I I don't I don't think he has good basketball IQ. I, I don't love his feel for the game, and he doesn't defend. He's six foot three. He has uh, stubby arms. I, I question his ability to defend his position, um, which isn't a problem if you become a twenty-eight point per game scorer like Isaiah Thomas. But it, it is a problem if you don't become that go-to guy. And I question his ability to really become that level of a player, even though the potential is there for it. I, I much prefer Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball out of that group of guards that a lot of people have up top. Okay, so a, a lot of people I've talked to have said that Markel Fultz is the guy in this year's draft. 
And that's not Celtics people, just for the listeners. <laughs> I don't want any anybody to listen to this and be like, the Celtics are picking Markel Fultz. <laughs> uh, but what, what separates him, assuming you put him number one, and you've already said you think he and Lonzo Ball are better prospects than Smith. What separates Fultz uh, from those other guys? I think with Fultz and with Ball, really, it's just the feel for the game. Fultz is only 18 years old right now. He'll, I think he'll be 19 at the time of the draft. And just his ability just to play at different space and control tempo and really, I think, in a sense – just con- control the overall game, especially in the pick and roll. It's really rare for a player his age. He can score from each level of the floor. Uh, granted, it's a small sample size. He looks like he's a much improved three-point shooter than he was in, at the high school level, and he was good then too. So he has the ability to score from all levels. He knows how to control his body and control tempo. He can finish creatively at the rim, and he's a really, really good passer, and he's long, so he has the ability to become a really good defender. I just, I look at Fultz, and I don't see a weakness that makes me think, okay, this could hold him back from becoming a really, really good player for a really long time. Now, it, can he play the two? Because obviously, you know, the Celtics, if if they do get that top draft pick, they have Isaiah Thomas, who has become like absolute lightning offensively just buckets after buckets after buckets (laughs) smart plays after smart plays huge fourth quarters after huge fourth quarters and he's five foot nine and they if they pick one of these point guards you know obviously Isaiah Thomas can play off the ball but like if you keep Isaiah Thomas assuming you keep Isaiah Thomas and I think he's forcing himself into their long-term plans regardless like he has just been absolutely dynamite over the last month then you're going to need to have someone who can coexist with him can can Fultz do that I think they can coexist I I think and, and the big reason why is because first of all Isaiah Thomas is a great shooter off the catch so he can space the floor for you he's not one of those point guards who needs to have the ball in his hands to be effective and Markel Fultz is exactly the same way he's a better shooter off the catch um, at this stage of his career and I think, in a sense, you kind of you would you'd be looking more at are you having do you have to move Avery Bradley or do you have to move Marcus Smart if you do acquire Fultz because I think Fultz has just much higher potential than than Bradley and Smart. Granted, both of those guys are really really good. I think one of them would have to move more so than worrying about how he would coexist with Isaiah Thomas because I think those two would fit great. And they both went to Washington, so they share uh, they share their college school. But then if you move Bradley, you send away a guy who grew up in Tacoma like Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that's that's the argument for for moving smart <laughs> just to these, keep all the Washington guys. These are discussions the Celtics will have to have in the war room for sure. <laughs> uh, all right, let, let's move on to Oh okay. So, if the Celtics do get number 1 pick, how many of these point guards are good enough that you have Isaiah Thomas, you have Avery Bradley, you have Marcus Smart, but you'd rather have one of these point guards than one of the wings or somebody else? Oh, man, that's like that's, that's the a, tough, that's question. A tough question. It's yeah. it's really hard because so here's the thing with the forwards, right? 
so Josh Jackson from Kansas, he's like one of the best defensive forwards you'll see at the college level, like ever. Like he is awesome, and he does so that many good? things well. Yeah, he's really good. He's re- and like he can he can handle the ball too a little bit as I a love forward. His passing, his yeah, passing's great. Really fun. But the thing is, is he's not a good jump shooter at all. And over the past few years, we've seen forwards, guys like Justice Winslow, who the Celtics loved. And obviously, we know that they reportedly tried to trade up for him. Um, But with Winslow, even as good as he's been in the NBA, without the jumper, that hurts him a lot. Right. It really limits him in the half court. So Josh Jackson could see the same problems no matter how good he becomes in every other category. And with Jonathan Jonathan Isaac, I like him quite a lot, but at the same time, he's kind of had moments where he's really struggled defensively. He had he has he's really lean frame. I think he's somebody who maybe maybe more talented long term, but because he needs to add so much weight and develop so much of his raw talent, he, you'll be waiting longer for that to come. And then Jason Tatum. I I had him I had him at number two before the season and I still have him like top three top four but he's had issues finishing at the rim because he's not like the bounciest athlete and his outside jumper is not great it's good not great though so those guys they're all really really good forwards but I don't I don't see them quite on the same level as Markel Fultz and and to an extent Lonzo Ball either so. it's it's a really a tough philosophical question for the Celtics because you don't want to draft by need if you have the number one pick. You definitely don't want to do that. But at the same time, if you did add a point guard, you you are really adding more to the pile when you already have talent. Like even even back to the bench, like Terry Rozier and Demetrius Jackson, like you have talent at the back end of the bench. Not that they they'd influence your decision making, but you'd really be stacking up at that position. Yeah, and and. Then if you take a wing, it's like, well, we have Jay Crowder and Jalen Brown, yeah. and obviously it, it Brown will get better and better in in year two and beyond. But I, I I do think that the roster would need a wing more so than than a point guard. But it seems like these point guards are just on another level, whether it's Ball, Fultz, everybody else. Lonzo Ball, he came into college and he was kind of like like low lottery expected. Obviously, besides set the world on fire in college, what what has he done to to push himself up? Like like what has he changed about his game since high school that has allowed him to shoot up the lottery uh, in these projections? I don't know if it's as much that he changed as much as like everything that he was good at, he's become even better and better at. And in some ways, I I, I think my expectations of him on the defensive end were a little bit lower than what I've seen. Like his, his instincts aren't just elite on the offensive end. Like he's really he's really quick on the defensive end too. And with his size, um, at six foot four, six foot five. He has good size for the position. Granted, he's a little lean. He's not. I don't think he's as thick as Markel Fultz, which might. Uh, I don't want to say it'll hurt him, but I, I think Fultz has higher potential on the defensive end. But Lonzo Ball, just the dude, has the greatest passing vision. Like I think I've watched, seen in a long time from a point guard at the college level. The guy sees things that that you don't even see when you have like the ideal viewing angle watching on TV. It's really amazing watching him pass the ball. It's funny because I watch I watch college as a fan, like like I I watch the NBA and it's sort of like like I view it more as a job now 
and I, I try to be totally unbiased. I watched college as a fan, and, and so I loved Lonzo Ball at first. I was a huge Lonzo Ball fan because he's. I love how he sprays the ball ahead. Like he doesn't, it, he doesn't care that it, whether it's him getting an assist. Like he is pushing it up the floor. He is making the right pass regardless, and I love that about him. And then, <laughs> then my brother pointed out, he's like, the Lonzo Ball hype is too much. It's it's way too much. I don't like this guy anymore. <laughs> and then, so I started hearing the Jason Kidd comps, and I was like, I was like, man, I started going the other way on Lonzo Ball. But now the hype train has slowed down a little bit, and I'm back high on Lonzo Ball. So I've I've like ridden the Lonzo Ball roller coaster this year. I, I'm not sh- sure whether he's str- is he strong enough to do all the same things at the NBA level. Like how how much strength is he going to have to? to put on to to get into the paint when I see him his biggest issue to me is breaking guys down off the dribble in the half court and getting into the paint yeah I I think I think he'll be strong enough in some ways I think to your point about him breaking guys down is I wonder if at the NBA level will his jumper off the dribble be good enough where guys have to respect that? Cause Lonzo ball has no issues at all shooting with his funky unorthodox shooting form when it's off the catch and he has space. It's, it's so gross. It's really, it's really gross. It's like, and it's like the, it's the worst looking good jump shot. Like you'll ever see. But and, it's, it's almost like gross in an entertaining way. Like you watch yeah. it and, and you're not like disgusted. You're kind of amused. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just this weird si- sidewinding motion. If, if like you're listening and you, you haven't seen Lonzo ball shoot a jumper, make sure you go on YouTube after you listen and just watch him shoot jumpers. Cause it's yeah. really weird. And, but and the, bring a pot just in case you need to vomit. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is though, is that translates for him off the catch, but it doesn't, necessarily translate off the dribble and that's big that's big for a guy that might be cast might have the potential to become like a a scoring guard that can also pass at the highest of levels so will defenses have to respect that jumper off the dribble i don't know i I have my concerns about that and that's where i kind of have fultz ahead of him because i just see fultz a more dynamic scorer with great passing ability whereas with ball i i don't I'm not totally confident that the jumper will translate off the dribble unless he tweaks his mechanics. But the, tweaking mechanics is just an unknown variable that it's it's so hard to predict what a player will do or won't do. Where do you put the two Kentucky guards? Like De'Aaron Fox, to me, he's one of those like he can just get wherever he wants on the court. He is electric. Malik Monk obviously has just been scoring the ball. I, I love watching that guy fill up, fill up the basket. Where? Where do those guys are they like a tier below the other guards in your eyes or up there with them? How close are they? They're they're both a tier below for me and I think for the other guys at the ringer on our draft board. I'm pretty sure we had them at eleven and twelve, uh, something uh, something along those lines, so, and maybe so maybe even a couple tiers below. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe that's even a little too low, but it's just there's so much talent kind of kind of in front of them. But for for Fox. Just, I mean, he, like you said, he does everything. He's so fast. He can get anywhere he wants to with the ball. And he's a really good passer, too. The thing is, is with him, is he's not a good jump shooter. And I wonder if he becomes like a 
a better version of Alfred Payton or something like that because I really liked Alfred Payton hey, in his draft Alfred class. Has, he's Alfred killing has it. Been exploding a little lately. I know he's averaging like twenty points per game the last this month or something like that. He's it's been I, weird. He's killing it. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like that's why I loved Alfred Payton in his draft, right? Because I was like, oh, if this guy just improves. In, into like an above average three point shooter or even just an above average shooter period, he's going to be a really, really good player. And we're seeing the flashes of that now. And it's the same thing with Fox. If, if he just improves into an average shooter, that's all he needs to be. He doesn't need to be a great shooter. So I, 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 I have him a little bit ahead of monk for that reason. It's because he's so good defensively and he can pass Whereas monk is just kind of the scorer. I want to ask you this because you do so much scouting and you do so much evaluating. Is shooting for you the toughest skill to evaluate how good people will be? Because obviously with stretch fours, with stretch fives, with some of these point guards who come into college and they've always been able to get to the rim or like they have 40% shooting in small sample size, how tough is it to project how good these guys will be as shooters and whether they will ever be able to develop that skill? I think, I think it, it, you know, it, it's a tough skill to evaluate, but at the same time with, with some guys, I think it's like easy, but other guys, it's just, it's such a variable. And so like the tie this to the Celtics with Marcus smart, for example, he's still the same, like 30% three point shooter today that he was in college, just like he was in high school, but his mechanics have been tweaked a little bit over the years. Like you would have wanted to see, but it hasn't changed the, the success rate. So with him, it's like he's made changes, but is it enough changes or is that just who he is? Like there's so many variables that are, that are hard to, hard to even predict like with Ben Simmons with the Sixers. I, I wrote an article last year about how my theory is that he's shooting with the wrong hand. Maybe, maybe I'm right. Maybe, maybe my tinfoil hat theory is correct and he is shooting with the wrong hand. But what if he comes back lefty now that he's taken like six, seven months off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, or like <laughs> the thing is, is like, what, what if he becomes an average shooter shooting with, with his uh, left hand now? It's like, I, I think, I, I think there's just so many variables that are that are hard to account for, and that's that's the tough thing I have with Josh Jackson, is because he's so good at everything, and if he becomes a good shooter, he's gonna be a really really good player for and have a long NBA career. But if he doesn't, maybe he'll have a long career. But I don't know if he's necessarily the guy you'd want to have on your modern team when three point shooting and spacing is so important. Yeah, by, by the way, I meant coming back as a righty. <laughs> I know that he's a lefty, Ben Simmons. Uh, well, this, by the way, he, the Sixers he, are good now. They're awesome. <laughs> they're so fun. It's so, it's so weird. Like, all of a sudden, they're, they're just good. They're winning games. The process is real. It, it's so fun, Jay. Joel Embiid <laughs> is, like, just the best player in the world. One of my favorite people right now. It's so yeah, fun you, watching the Sixers. You you so you were even when Embiid was gone for two years, you were like this big Embiid guy. You had <laughs> yeah. Embiid's back. Everybody else was like, "Yeah, but the injury concerns, and he's never played a game, and he only played like fifteen games or whatever in college." And you were like, "This guy 
has more potential than anyone. <laughs> so are you taking a little victory lap right now, man? Uh, I, I don't know if I'm taking a victory lap, but I'm like, I'm <laughs> celebrating quite a lot in the inside just because it's it feels so good to see because this is like, this is what I thought I would see in like year two of his career. Not the first year of his career, halfway through his rookie season. It's it's crazy how just how good he's gotten so quickly. It's unbelievable to see. It's it's stupid. <laughs> it, it really is. is. Yeah. Like, to take two years off and then just set the <laughs> NBA ablaze and do it while like like being the greatest social media force of all time <laughs> it, it's fantastic uh okay back back to the celtics back to the draft celtics if, assuming they do finish in the top four somewhere in the top four let's say they finish four let's say worst case scenario if the nets finish with the worst record they drop to four how many guys are in that range that they might consider like how like last year it was like they were at three and they probably had what five or six guys Jalen Brown Buddy Heald Jamal Murray Marquise Chris Dragon Bender who they could have considered if they're at four how many guys are there so so these are the guys that that I like for the Celtics and kind kind of the guys that I just like in general um so at that spot like say the, the four spot I don't think you're going to get Markel Fultz. I, he would be my top guy for the Celtics and for anybody else. Um, I think realistically at that spot, you're probably not looking at Lonzo Ball either. I just have a feeling he's going to go top three. I, I just have a hunch that he will. And so I'm thinking it would be one of the forwards. You're hoping for Josh Jackson or Jason Tatum or Jonathan Isaac, or maybe you're looking ahead to possibly losing Kelly Olenek in free agency and you're thinking, oh, Laurie Markkinen, uh, a stretch forward from Arizona could be a potential upgrade over Olenek down the line anyway. Maybe those guys, maybe you're looking at OG Ananobi from Indiana. He's always a possibility. I like him a lot. I'm not sure he's quite on the level of the other forwards, even though I I, I want him to be. I'm not sure he's quite there yet. <laughs> I, I don't every, know. About every the, every draft freak, and I, I call you a freak lovingly, loves Ananobi. Oh, he's fun. He's like he's. People compare him to Kawhi, and it's that's not disrespectful to Kawhi. It, it is, and and it's disrespectful to the Spurs in in a way too, because that was such a unique situation. And I think it'd be unfair to put those expectations on OG or any other player because it's just so unusual how quickly in the way Kawhi developed with the Spurs. Yeah. Okay. But I I didn't mean to get you off track. I, I just had to go with Ananobi. Who who else like? Of those guys, who do you prefer for the Celtics, and who would they possibly consider there? Mm. So at the four spot, yeah, we'll say four. We'll say four now, and and then we'll we'll boost it up to two because I know Fultz is your number one. Um, I, I think I think at at this point right now, I I uh, man, it's so hard. I I I, <laughs> I kind of I kind of lean towards. I mean, it's probably Jonathan Isaac or Jason Tatum for me for the Celtics more so than Josh Jackson. But that's that's still so hard because if Jackson just becomes a a good shooter, he could be really great for a long time. But I think Isaac is more of a sure bet as a shooter. And so is Tatum um, more so than Jackson. So I give them a slight edge. Okay, Uh, does it change anything for you? That the Celtics suddenly have this electric offense. Like before, 
I think when I when I have Sam Vecini on this podcast like a month or two ago, it was like, yeah, the Celtics could really use another guy who can go get his shot. And now it's like, well, they can kind of score on anyone anyway. <laughs> and and obviously shooting is a huge skill. But to me, like the the equation, Isaiah Thomas might have changed the equation for the Celtics in a way. And I, at, at at that high in the draft, you probably don't go for fit anyway. But but to me, Isaiah has he's shifted things a little bit for the Celtics franchise. That's a good point too. In some ways, in some ways, I wonder, you know, from a, a philosophical perspective, when it com- when it comes to the draft, maybe maybe it really doesn't matter at all if we're talking about fit or we're talking about like team need. Maybe that shouldn't even be a, even a minute factor because in some ways, maybe you're drafting for the best potential player who could become your best trade asset because if you if you're the Celtics and you think Josh Jackson becomes a better player than Jonathan Isaac even if Jonathan Isaac might be a better fit theoretically and these are just two examples I think maybe you still go with Josh Jackson knowing that he might become a more valuable player for you in the future if you make a trade and, and it doesn't include him or he becomes a more valuable trade asset. And I know, and I know like anybody from the team, like if they're talking to the media, they would say, you know, it, it's not about assets. They're players that we want, but that definitely has to be a factor for any team at all in the NBA is just building assets. And again, putting yourself in a position to potentially trade for a superstar. If the trade is available, even if it's not on draft night, yeah, especially we've seen it with Jalen Brown. Like, like yes, he probably was the best fit for their team. As you look back on it, like at the draft, you thought, okay, the Celtics really need a shooter. Well, Buddy Heald would have had a tough time getting minutes over Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart, and Isaiah Thomas. I think same thing would have gone for Jamal Murray. Brown has played minutes largely because he's a wing, and he has a lot to figure out still, but he has the body, he has the athleticism to play on the wing and the Celtics really need those two traits. So sometimes fit fit is something that changes from year to year and certainly not wise to to judge anything on I I think when you're making decisions that high in the draft unless it's like a tiebreaker. Yeah. And you have these two guys that they're they're so close as prospects that you're like, "Ah, oh, you know what? We could use a big man, not a point guard." So let's go with that. Speaking of big men, my man Ante Zizic is over there in Europe now on his second team, having a nice, nice, nice nineteen and now twenty year old season. I, I know, I know you've you've watched Zizic a little bit. How has he has he changed the way you viewed him from as a prospect from last year when he was in the draft, and where would he go if he was in this year's draft? I think I think with this year's draft, it's kind of lacking uh, the bigs. The bigs, it's not really. It has guys in the middle of the draft like Ivan Rab and Robert Williams and Harry Giles, who's like I don't know if he if it's right that he slipped, but he's like off the lottery for a lot of people. Um, and in a sense, I think Zizic would be right there in that group with them. So we're talking like 
13 to 17 or maybe 11 to 15, like that range for Zizic. So borderline lottery pick, I, I would think, just based on his development this year playing overseas. The dude, the dude's doing it at, at, at the highest of levels in Europe. And I think that speaks to his development at a super, super young age. And, and in some ways, I look at how dominant he's been as a rebounder and it's like, oh, the Celtics could use a guy like that. It's too bad yep. they didn't bring him over this season because the Celtics don't have any answers on their roster for rebounding, but they do at that that kind of uh, extension of the roster with their draft and Satches and Zizic. Um, he would obviously aid, aid them in that department this season. And, and in a sense, assuming the Celtics do bring him over next season – I think maybe it minimizes the need a little bit to to maybe spend heavy on a veteran player who may not have a long-term future with the team, knowing that Zizic does look ready. He looks ready to contribute as a high-energy rim runner who rebounds the hell out of the basketball. He He's fun, man. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't watched any of his full games, but looking at his highlights, the guy's just, I mean, he is a physical, physical force. Like He is a big strong burly man and what 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 really cracks me up about his new team where he's coached by David Blatt it's like Celtics reunion turkey they got Sammy <laughs> Erden they got Luke Herringody they've got like all they need to do is sign Fab Mello and it would be like like gr- Celtics draft greatest hits <laughs> it would be just fantastic. I need Fab Mello to find his way to Dara Safaka or however the hell you say it. I, I need that. The other guy is Gershon Yabusele. He is putting up big, big numbers in China. I don't know how much you can judge off that because those teams aren't aren't nearly as good. And it's like the Zidgets thing. He was killing the Adriatic League, and it's like, yeah, but he's supposed to kill the Adriatic League. It wasn't until, I think, he went to the EuroLeague and still is putting up numbers that you started to think, okay, this dude, he 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 is really producing at a top level. Um, you did discuss the Celtics rebounding in your latest piece on the ringer. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Your Band-Aid solution. Just box out. Just, just box out. Out, guys. Just turn around and block out. Oh, man, the Celtics rebounding has been bad. It's really, really, really bad, Jay. Like, that's going to be a problem for them in the playoffs, right? I think... I think that could be what kind of spells their demise in the playoffs, regardless if it's the first round, second round, or the conference finals. I think their inability to rebound the basketball it is something that they need to fix if they really want to make a, a strong run this year um i don't know where the solutions are i don't know if that's andrew bogut with the mavericks i don't know i don't know if i don't know if the sixers would trade noel i don't think i don't even think they would at this point i think the way they're surging i think if if i'm the sixers i want to keep that core intact um and the mavericks for that matter because the west is so crazy like the mavericks are like two games out from the worst record in the west but they're also like two games out from the eight seed so yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy over there in the west it's a weird weird world over there 
So like, what are the options for the Celtics? That that's really the big question for me. And that's why it's like, well, if there are no options on the trade market, maybe the solution is simply like the whole team, everybody on the team just needs, needs to make a commitment to boxing out and finishing off possessions, because that's kind of the, the thing that gets overlooked sometimes about defense is we talk about man to man defense. We talk about rim protection. We talk about, you know, hedging on the pick and roll. We talk about all these little things, but rebounding is what puts the period at the end of the possession of the end of the sentence to end that possession. And they're there have the 30th defensive rebounding percentage of basketball this year. They don't have any really good rebounders on the, at the, on the team besides Avery Bradley for his position. So it's just, I don't know what, I don't know what they do. Jay, what, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> I mean, at this point they are not going to become a good rebounding team. If they traded for Bogut, maybe. But the thing is, like, he would be a short-term rental. A, how much better does he make your team? I I think he would make them significantly better in the sense that rebounding is by far their biggest issue. It has dragged down their defense all year. They are getting shredded by teams that aren't even – like, the Knicks were playing Justin Holiday, 6'6 shooting guard at power forward sometimes, and still getting rebound after rebound against the Celtics. It was – it's it's abominable at times. So, yes, Bogut would help someone like Bogut, but how much? You're probably still in the two to three range. You're probably still not going to knock off Cleveland. Almost definitely still not going to knock off Cleveland. And why waste assets for a guy who's just going to be here for the rest of the season when you've got Zizic, you've got Yabusele waiting, you've got money to spend in free agency, and you're not going to take on any long-term money because you want to have the money to chase the the – top free agents like Gordon Hayward, Blake Griffin, whoever else might be on their radar. So to me, it, it, I I think I wouldn't be surprised if they just stand pat and get bruised on the glass every <laughs> game and, and hope it doesn't matter too much. Uh, hope it doesn't matter until you face, you know, Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Finals and then Tristan Thompson grabs <laughs> like 30 offensive rebounds a game and he ends in like six games in what is otherwise a competitive series. So I, I don't know. I don't know if they should make a move. Obviously, they, they need to at some point, but I just don't know if it makes sense to do it this year. I so think yeah, I'm with just, you. Just uh, box out. <laughs> I'm with you, Jane. Plus, Bogut's hurt. Bogut's been like had nagging injuries all season long. Will he be healthy in April and May? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Amir Johnson – I don't think he's fully healthy. He's not rebounding like like he used to, and that's hurt. Al Horford never been a great rebounder. They they just don't have any physicality. Like there is not a single big man on their roster. And Jordan Mickey came in against New York, gave good minutes, and then got beasted by Hernan Gomez for a rebound that reminded you like one of the things limiting Mickey's potential is that for all the shot blocking and deflections he gets he's not a good rebounder either so it's it's a mess in their their rebounding it it really is bad man it it says a lot that avery bradley is the team's best rebounder i think that says it all that's preposterous man i i think i think you need to get out there you need you need to show them to box out (laughs) i've said this before i think they need to get tom Izzo into a practice like throw on the football pads just (laughs) just learn that physicality They, they might I don't know. It's it's going to be an issue all year, and it's going to drag down their defense. And hopefully, their offense is good enough. 
Uh, anyway, I, I don't want to keep you on. Actually, actually, one more question. I do want to keep you on for one more question. I'm down, Jay. You talked briefly about Harry Giles. And I want to talk about Harry Giles because when I had Sam on, I didn't ask him about Harry Giles. And I kicked myself because he was considered number one prospect before the, the latest uh, knee issue. I haven't seen too much of him because he's only played a few minutes for Duke this season. I'm a big Duke guy for everyone out there. I know, I know. Come at me. Come at me. But how how much has he lost in the short time you've seen him at Duke? And like how how good was he when he was healthy? Because I, I see him and I'm like, this dude's kind of a step slow. I don't see it. So how 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 much better was he before the injuries? I think with Giles, at at the lower levels he was playing at before, after his first torn ACL, when he was fully recovered from that, I, I think a lot of people have said, oh, you know, he's lost verticality. Um, he was never like the most – he wasn't a Blake Griffin leaper before, right? I think in the ways that Giles was explosive was laterally. Like just his ability to step out and defend quick guards – you're seeing him get blown by this year at Duke, and that's that's concerning. It's it, it, the, the question is, is this because he has rust and he's still recovering and getting back to the guy he was? Or is this the new version of Harry Giles? And this is the guy that we're actually going to be looking at projecting ahead for in the NBA. And if it is, that's a major, major concern because a big part of his potential, in my opinion, was just his overall defensive versatility he could defend i I know it's a cliche but he could defend all five positions on the floor and he could really rebound the ball too so he wasn't really like a liability like some of those versatile players are and that's unique because on the offensive end his ability to handle the ball make good decisions finish inside playing the pick and roll about his only his only notable weakness was the lack of a jumper but like with josh jackson he did a lot of other things well where you're still looking at him as a top five guy. Like it wouldn't be a concern. He's still a good player. It's just a matter of how good he would become based on the jumper. So now you're looking at him as a guy who's not the same level defender that he was before. And he's doesn't have the jumper on the offensive end. And I just, I have a hard time figuring out where in the draft I would want to take him because if you're a team and you have the eighth pick, Sure, Giles might theoretically have more potential than than let's just say, I don't know, Miles Bridges, right? But if you view Miles Bridges as more of a sure bet to A, stay healthy, and B, carve out a long career, then I think you kind of have to lean towards that guy, even if Giles has more potential. I, I, I just I just have a really hard time figuring out Giles, Jay. I, I, it's tough. It's really tough with him assuming he doesn't like explode in the second half of the season, are you out on him as a lottery prospect? Probably. I don't want to say I'm out, but I, I kind of, in the last ringer big board we did, I kind of posed that question. Something along the lines of like, even if, even if Giles just explodes to finish the season, does the risk of injury? Cause he's had the two years ago, he tore his, ACL, MCL, and meniscus in his right knee 
And then last year he tore it in his left knee, I believe, or either it was might have been the other way around, where it was the left knee first, and then it was the right knee. But um, the thing is, it's like that's concerning for a guy who I'm pretty sure it's also been reported had injury history going back to middle school too. So if this guy has had all these injuries over the course of his career, two ACL tears and and the knee the knee arthroscopy last year. I don't know. Like, where do you feel comfortable drafting a guy that's had so many injury issues? Is, is he that much better of a prospect that you feel comfortable risking it with the injuries? I don't know if I feel comfortable until around maybe the 14th to the 18th pick, that range. I think I'd be very, very comfortable taking him there. But in the lotto, this is a strong draft, man. Like, there's a lot of good players, like 11, 12 guys that I really, really like. And I don't know if I, I'd want to take the risk with Giles unless I felt really, really good about his future medical. Yeah. Yeah. That, that poor kid, if he just stayed healthy, yeah, but hopefully he'll get healthy. Hopefully he'll bounce back. Somebody who does not need to bounce back is Kevin O'Connor because he's at the top already. Everybody go follow Kevin at Kevin O'Connor NBA, read his stuff on the ringer. Like I'm sure you already do. Thank you very much, Kevin, for coming on. We really appreciate your insight. You are, you are the best, my man. You're, you're the top top draft guy to me. <laughs> I, I need that draft guy. I'm itching for that draft guy already. I, I want to dig into it. Every all the Celtics fans, I know they're they're excited too because the Nets, the Nets are so damn bad. <laughs> I almost said I almost said the F word there. <laughs> we were gonna have to bleep that one out. It would have been okay if you dropped it there. It would have been appropriate, Jay. <laughs> Very true. Right. Th- thanks for coming on, my man. Thank you for having me, Jay. All right, take care. All right, so that was the interview with draft god Kevin O'Connor. It's important to remember when the Celtics lay an egg against the New York Knicks and Derek Rose rips them from the inside out and – Justin Holiday and Willie Hernan Gomez look like superstars against them. That they have a top lottery pick coming in a stacked draft. As well as Ante Zizic, who could be a rebounding beast and is only 20 years old. And Gershon Yabusele. I still hope I say his name right every time. I probably get it wrong. Who's in China putting up big numbers, working on his overall game going coast to coast and slamming it home like Carl Malone. So it's it's an exciting time for Celtics fans. Everybody knows that. But sometimes it's nice to take a step back. Think about all the players who might become Celtics. The Brooklyn Nets are woeful, just a woeful group. And the Celtics, you know, not only do they have – are they on a 50-win pace, but they've got – uh. Another potential all-star coming their way in the draft. Who knows? Who knows what that that pick will become? Maybe they'll trade it. Maybe they'll keep it. Who knows? But one thing we do know is that the Celtics have the greatest daily podcast on planet Earth. That is the Locked On Celtics podcast. Please subscribe to us. Just search for Locked On Celtics wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, please. And if you want to advertise with us, Podcasting is an awesome, awesome form of advertisement because 
we connect with the we connect with the listeners. You guys, you guys listen to us every day. We're like your friends. So if you if you want to look into advertising with us, if you're a local business, Boston business, whatever, whatever else, you might be a national business. Who knows? Email us at lockedoncelticsgmail.com. at gmail dot com. We'll get back to you with rates and all that stuff. So yeah. Other than that, listen to us every day. We'll be here Monday through Friday giving you the goods on the Celtics. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate all your support. Hashtag Rain and Jays. Send all your comments, questions there. We'll get back to you when we can. We'll put some of them on the air. And yeah, we'll talk to you again Monday, I guess, after Evan Turner's return. Can't wait for that. Shout out to Evan Turner, the interview god. We just talked to the draft god, soon to be the interview god. And we'll talk to you guys later. That's it for this episode of the Locked On Celtics Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.